listening to PetLifeRadio.com. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander's up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Welcome to Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Why let sleeping dogs lie when you can take the bull by the horns and let the fur fly? So get your claws out and get ready to rattle some cages on Pet Peeves with your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Shojah. Hey there, and welcome to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Amy Shojai, and today we're talking about pedigree cats and breeding for looks, breeding for health, and are they mutually exclusive? That brings me to my rant of the week. We loved the squashed-in nose and big eyes of the Persian, the turned-down ears of the Scottish fold, Manx kitties with their race car tailless profile, and all the other lovely cat breeds with distinctive looks. How could these be bad? Now, a recent BBC show titled Pedigree Dogs Exposed did a lot of hand-waving and gasping about funny-looking dog breeds, canine incest, and the problems that inbreeding can cause. In fact, there are some ugly health consequences to breeding just for looks, and our cats are not exempt. Kidney problems, heart disorders, inherited arthritis, and even a predisposition to cancer have been identified in specific cat breeds or families of cats. How the holy heck has this happened? Are all our cats in trouble? Now surely the breeders aren't out to hurt the cats they love. Quite the opposite. So what's a caring cat keeper to do? I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Leslie Lyons to the show. She's an associate professor in the Department of Population Health and Reproduction School of Veterinary Medicine at the University of California, Davis. Now, while both her master's and doctorate degrees are in human genetics, during her postdoctoral work at the National Cancer Institute, she helped organize the Feline Genome Project. Yep, folks, we're talking about mapping kitty cat genes and figuring out what they do, including disease gene mapping projects for the domestic cat. That's the cat sleeping on your lap this very minute. We'll have a lot to hiss and purr about with Dr. Lyons after these messages from our sponsor. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Greetings, human. What planet am I on? Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, Candid Pictures of You and Your Pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No. To my condo 
en pocas. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. School's in session on Pet Life Radio with Teacher's Pet. Learn how to communicate with your pet, train your pet, and see the world from your pet's point of view. You may even learn a few tricks yourself. Teacher's Pet, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. Welcome back to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. We're talking with Dr. Leslie Lyons, whose work focuses on the genetics of the domestic cat, including disease, inherited traits, and also population diversity. Welcome to the show, Dr. Lyons. Thank you, Amy. It's wonderful to join you. Now, I like to, before we get into the nitty-gritty, I like to talk with my guest a little about themselves. Uh, What pets share your life? What cats, what dogs do you have? Well, always growing up, uh, we had at least one cat, maybe two cats in the household. And I personally now have two cats. And my roommate also has two cats. My, My cats are random bred cats, and my roommate has a Persian and a Bengal. So I like to say I only have two cats, but technically there's four in the household. <laughs> well, you've got kind of have the gamut there. Then the uh, the cat next door with the uh, the luxurious looks of the Persian and the uh, wild looks of the Bengal. That's quite a combination there. Yeah, and it definitely comes out in their personalities every day. So it's quite um, interesting just to see how our breeds can be quite different in their personalities. Well, let's get right to it then. Over the years, the look of many cat breeds has changed to more extremes. That's kind of the lingo that they use in the show fancy anyway. I mean, the legs have gotten shorter to create munchkins. Uh, The nose more pushed in for the Persians. Ears folded, even curled with the American curled cat. The oriental cats, they seem to be more tubular. They're these long, lithe kitties. We have curly-coated cats, long-haired, even naked cats today. Now, we didn't have all these 100 years ago, or if we did, we didn't. Re- they didn't look exactly the same. Is, is that why we're seeing more problems? Were cats healthier in the past? No, that's, it's a dynamic of making any type of breed of animal. Even, even human populations have the same type of dynamics. Um, it all depends on picking up a group of cats that might be a founder for a breed, and then making good breeding decisions after that so that you have a very good, diverse population. Um, Things that happen that cause diseases, DNA mutations, those are totally random and they can happen in any population. Just with a breed, you just might see them at a higher frequency. And so now it's your job, once you recognize them, to help eliminate those problems. So the the little random bred kitty cat that's um, asleep on my bed in the other room there, it could be just an accident of birth that she might show up with a gene that is causing some devastating illness, but we might not know it because she's spayed or neutered or she's not being bred professionally? That's exactly right. So if you consider any cat population in a neighborhood, that population itself might be a little inbred because cats don't disperse very widely. Some of the tomcats do a little more traveling than what we like. 
but um, you can certainly you can certainly have a genetic presentation. They don't all have to be bad. Um, be more higher in a in a population that's just within our neighborhoods. So yeah, kitty laying on the bed very well could have a heart condition, and you might not know it because if if you're not putting as much investment in a cat like a lot of people do with their fancy breed cats, this cat might not be getting as much health care. So our fancy breed cats tend to get a little more health care than our random bred cats that are laying on our beds. Yes, I know that when I speak with breeders, uh, they may be screening for different health issues like the polycystic kidney disease of the Persian and some of, the, some of those types of things in order to avoid breeding and, and passing that on. So the whole idea of being a quote-unquote, responsible breeder today, there's a whole lot more to it than there was in the past. It goes way beyond, you know, putting kibble in the bowl. Yes, uh, some of the breeders are very proactive. They um, screen for different health conditions, but then they also screen for fun things. Like we do some fun things like coat color traits. And you can also genetically test for your cat to have a recessive coat color trait. And then you can breed the cats properly so that you don't, produce that color. Maybe you don't like that color in your breeding program. So this inherently, cat breeders inherently keep their numbers down and don't create an overpopulation of their breed. Um, So one, they're more valuable. And two, they don't have cats that they find difficult to place or can't compete in the show. So cat breeders tend to be a little more responsible about the overpopulation of pets than the regular person who doesn't get around to spaying or neutering their pet. For our listeners, well, and for me, that matter, would you define being inbred? Is, is that always a bad thing? It's not always a bad thing. It's, it's rather difficult to just cut a line and say, okay, now you're inbred and now you're not. If we take examples from humans, we're generally not supposed to be marrying our first cousins, right? And so right. that was kind of one of the cutoffs is that if it's past your first cousin then you really don't need to worry about it too much. And so cat breeders try to do the same thing. They try to recognize what are cats are cousins, and, and they'll try to do more distant breedings than that. But inherently, if you're working with a breed, that must be an inbred population. But so are a lot of human populations, too. You know, So we tend to segregate ourselves based on religion or based on ethnic group, and so we're a little inbred as well. Right. I know that I was reading uh, back through your bio, which is fascinating, uh, by the way. You did some work, early work with the Asian leprechauns and the, uh, the Bengals. And uh, tell me a little bit about that project. Are they more or less healthy? Were there more issues involved with working with these, the, the, wild, the wilder cats or the, versus the domestic cats? And, and just what was that like? Oh, it's very interesting. Yeah, that was the first breed group I ever got involved with. And um, that was because we were working with Asian leopard cats at the National Cancer Institute as well. So we were uh, producing some of the first generation, what you would call Bengal cats, which are uh, a cross between the Asian leopard cat and a domestic breed. Usually uh, people have used Egyptian mouse or Abyssinians to be the cross with the Asian leopard cat. And the goal was to get a cat that had the cool coloration and spots of an Asian leopard cat, but have the temperament of a domestic cat. And kind of the Bengal breed kind of represents something in between. So 
the cats can be a little more feisty. I always call it graduate school cat. Um, that <laughs> they are a little more interactive. Um, for I just said we have one at my house, and that cat just is running all over the place. And <laughs> no very, off switch. Yeah, no off switch. I'm not sure it sleeps ever, but actually it does. It curls up with you quite nicely on occasion. But So they're very active cats, but so is the Abyssinian. So you can say there's a lot of high-activity cat breeds, and that certainly is a Bengal cat. Sometimes a Bengal cat gets a bad reputation because people think, oh, it's wild. It has wild blood, but there's been a lot of generations um, from the wild cat. So I think they're just a newer breed, and a lot of people might be tentative with interacting with them, and so they kind of will get a reputation that maybe they're a bit difficult to handle. But there's other cat breeds that I will see in the cat show that are difficult to handle too. So they kind of get a bad reputation, but they're a really interesting and beautiful cat breed. Well, I know, I know that um, one of my colleagues is very active in Bengal rescue, and I think possibly it's not that the cat's bad, it's that the owner's expectation, since it's such a relatively new breed, uh, they, they're expecting a little lap cat that's going to sleep 16 hours a day and not sling, you know, sling from the drapes all the time. So there may right. be some expectation thing going on. You're right. Well, that's, that's always true. So you should have a good interaction with what a cat breed is like. A Persian is a much more laid-back cat and uh, more of a couch potato. Uh, but Abyssinians and a lot of the other breeds are very high-activity breeds. And, and by the way, all cats can be taught not to swing from the curtains. So <laughs> you, can save, you can save your furniture with a little bit of discipline. Right, right. Well, I wanted to get back to the whole idea of veterinary researchers and geneticists who are working so diligently to identify some of these concerns, health issues that are inherited, of course, in the hopes of breeding away from them and eliminating some of these issues. I'm assuming that's the answer, at least part of the answer. Um, how, how is that being done? Are there, I know you are doing a lot of this work. Are there other places around the country that are doing this research? Yes, certainly. There's a group still back at the NCI where I worked and a good group at the University of Pennsylvania, um, Ohio State, Cornell. Uh, so most of the major vet schools have um, very good research programs, whether they're cats or dogs or other species. And then throughout the, throughout the world, we work with uh, groups at University of Bristol and in Utrecht. Um, so there's lots of different opportunities uh, for feline genetic and health research throughout the world. We have listeners here, I'm sure, that have pedigreed cats and or random breed cats. Can they participate in this research? I mean, this is, and, and folks, I'm not talking, but this is not vivisection by any means. How does this research done? Basically, you're just collecting data, and how is that done? Yeah, well, that's, that's the beauty of working with genetics, really. Um, our cats really get to have sex because then they get to <laughs> procreate, so, so they're happy cats. But then also, once you have a DNA sample, you're in pretty good shape with doing a re uh, genetic research project. So and DNA can either come from a blood sample, or now we can even do buckle swabs. So you take a little Q-tip and rub it between the cheek and gums of a cat, and you can get a quite a good DNA sample from that. And then we have different techniques in the laboratory where we can expand that DNA sample. So... Genetics is really neat to work with because all you have to do 
do is probably the cat is coming in for a health reason, and the veterinarians take care of that. They just, you know, want to document what is wrong with the cat. And then a geneticist comes in and helps to discover why that condition is presenting. Sometimes it's the environment. Sometimes it's random chance but sometimes it can be genetic. And so that's my job is to figure out when a cat comes into the hospital and it's sick, what part of that might be caused by bad genes. Well, are there certain breeds that you are looking at at the moment? Yeah, we have a couple different research projects. We do work with Persians quite a bit. Uh, Polycystic kidney disease is a very prevalent condition in Persians, as it is actually in humans. So if you solve polycystic kidney disease in the cat, so we know the gene as we do in humans, we could potentially discover gene therapies and drugs that would work in humans, and we could test them in the cat, and maybe we could help cats not go into renal failure too. So our work, whether you're working on cats or humans or dogs, goes all across species, so you end up helping out everybody. Um, I personally like helping the cats, but in the end, we <laughs> might cure humans uh, in, in the process, too. So we work with Persians. Um, Persians happen to have two conditions we work with, polycystic kidney disease, as well as a very early blindness, where the cats go blind at about eight weeks of age. And oh, so we're wow. hoping to bring back sight to the blind if we can figure out what gene that is and figure out how to correct that gene. Wow, I, I love the whole idea of this helping cross species. I mean, we've we've said for years, um, and we're we're preaching to the choir when we say cats and dogs are good for your health. Of course they are, and now we've proved it. Oh, absolutely! But they they certainly are good to just have your la- on your lap and lower your blood pressure too. So <laughs> they're they're good all the way around. All right. Well, we have a lot more to learn. So take a quick cat nap. And we'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Want to know what cats like to eat for breakfast? Mice Krispies, of course. Learn everything there is to know about cats on Catitude with your host, Tom Dock. Each week, we'll spotlight a cool cat breed, give up-to-date advice on cat health, and check out spiffy new cat products. So curl up on the couch every week for a perfectly enjoyable time on Catitude. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. We're back and speaking with Dr. Leslie Lyons, who researches the influence of genes in diseases of companion animals. The Lyons Laboratory has led to an international collaboration to develop a worldwide genetic panel for parentage and identification profiling in cats. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Amy. Something that I I didn't get a chance to ask you before our break, and I read in your bio that feline gene mapping has applications for forensic 
research and forensic information. Has CSI gone to the cats? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I'm a big fan of CSI, the, the original CSI, and they've had two episodes where cat fur or cat was part of the evidence. And so it's our job to actually set up that evidence so that it can be used. So think about if do you have a cat? You know, I can't come out of my house without cat fur all over me. And exactly. um, and so if if I'm committing a crime, it's likely I could transfer that fur um, to a victim. And so that's what happens is that you'll see um, cat fur transferred or, or found as evidence at the scene of a crime. Unlike um, dogs are involved with forensics too, but dogs can actually be the perpetrators of a crime, as like a dog attack, where that's less likely uh, for a domestic cat. can happen with pumas and mountain lions and stuff. But um, So our job is to build up the DNA databases. So if you found fur, could you DNA type that and be able to um, match it to potential people that, that also have cats? So you have a bunch of suspects, figure out which one has a cat, and if it matches your evidence, you have more information that puts that person at the scene of the crime. I can just hear Sherlock Holmes saying, yes, the murderer was an owner of a black tuxedo Abyssinian mix something or other. It's <laughs> That's wild. Right. Definitely, we've uh, been involved with a couple different uh, court cases that are using uh, cat fur as evidence um, for the for the. Uh, both for the defense and for the prosecution. Wonderful. Well, I know also part of your work has to do with population diversity. What exactly does that mean, and how, how is it important? We got into that a little bit before the break, but how is population diversity important, and what exactly are we talking about there? Well, um, what we like to do is um, certainly we can... Um, once a disease is found within a breed, our job is to try to track that down. But what we'd like to do is be able to give breed groups information on how to not get their cats too inbred. So what we had to do was evaluate, well, what do cat breeds look like now? How much genetic diversity do they have? And so um, we actually did a study where we looked at a bunch of the cat breeds in the United States and later figured out who had more genetic diversity than others. But then we had to compare it to the random bred cat because that's your gold standard. So we collected random bred cat populations from actually throughout the world and did a comparison to see how our breeds are, are stacking up to what we consider would be very diverse and healthy populations. And as we were doing that, we discovered, well, gee, we could actually consider, well, where did cats come from with the same information? So we did a whole project with National Geographic and did a documentary. It's called The Science of Cats. It's actually airing on uh, National Geographic Channel as an episode of Explorer where we look at the domestication of the cat. So the project started out as how diverse are our breeds, which breeds might be in trouble, which breeds are in good shape, how can we manage those breeds? And then it turned into a whole, um, let's see if our cats are related to the pharaoh cats or not. How fun. Now, I, I have to go back to this BBC program. Did, are you familiar with that? Have you heard about that, I'm sure? Just in conversation. I, I never uh, got to listen to the program itself. 
Um, yeah. But, yeah, there there are certainly concerns with um, breeds and, and how healthy they are. But um, I think people forget that happens with all populations as well. Right. And, and my concern is... Um of course, on that particular show, we were talking. They were talking about dogs, and they were talking about people knowing about issues and overlooking them in order to breed a dog that would compete well and win ribbons. Now, I don't believe that the same is true, or at least not to that extent, in the cat fancy, as far as I'm aware. But really, can one legislate ethics? I mean, would you see this the research that you're doing becoming applicable having to submit tests or anything like that in in the show fancy so show judges or registries might be able or even be forced to do the right thing keep track of these kinds of things right well actually some registries actually already do that so that's definitely already done in the horse registry and in in the dog registry as well it hasn't become effective at least in the united states um for the cat fancy. Do you have to enforce it? Should it be enforced at the cat fancy level, at, at the registration level? Or should that be more of an owner's responsibility and, you know, interacting with them at the owner? If you do it, you could use it as positive marketing. Look, all my cats are PED free. And um, so I'm not sure where that level uh, should be, but certainly the information could be quite helpful um, to produce, to make sure people are producing uh, good, healthy uh, animals. And this could be actually a good mark to compare the so-called backyard breeders versus the professional, ethical, responsible breeders. Those are the ones that are have full transparency and say, we test for this, we did find this, we are working to eliminate it, or we've never had it. Uh, Etc. So I th- I think that that could be a real helpful thing uh, for the fancy and just make a difference and set them apart from the folks that are well you know my my little kitty that's sleeping in there on the bed is what I call my Siamese wannabe she was a dumped kitten and um, you know a little pointed kitty cat that is absolutely lives in my heart but she is by no means a show cat right. Yeah, well, I think absolutely that's what people should consider. Um, yeah, but, you know, if you're working with someone that is not ethical, they'll probably find ways around the system anyhow. Um, so that's one of the reasons why here at Davis we promote that if you do a genetic test, there's two ways to to do a genetic test and prove it actually belongs to the animal that you say it came from. One way is how they do it in Europe is a veterinarian has to draw the blood sample or collect the DNA sample and submit it to the testing lab. Or another way to do it, um, and they can both be done at the same time actually, is when a genetic test is done, say it's for polycystic kidney disease, to also run a DNA fingerprint, a DNA profile on the cat as well. So... When you get that answer back, if someone ever wants to say, hey, it doesn't really belong to this kitty, you could always go back, test it again, and that DNA profile better match, or that means somebody has switched the genetic test. Ah, okay. So there's there's always going to be somebody who's going to find a way around, huh? That's Absolutely, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. Now, Dr. Lyons, on the canine side recently, we're having all of these so-called designer dogs, the uh, whatever poo dogs and the teacup brand pooches. And 
are these a good thing, a bad thing, a flavor of the month thing? Uh, I've even heard of teacup Persians. Um, is this just a marketing type of issue or is this something that, that you think might be beneficial uh, to promote some of the unique anomalies? Well, I can see it as a little bit of both. Um, so one of the things, we do try to work with new breeds, and so we're very interested in the new breeds. One, from the genetic point of view, why, what is going on with this cat that makes it a teacup Persian or perhaps makes it a ringtail or a dwarf cat. So we're interested from that point of view. But we're also interested in actually documenting um, the health of the cats as well. And so we work with a lot of these new breeds uh, for that exact reason. If it's healthy and it's not causing any health issues to the to the animal, then, yeah, it might be the flavor of the week because it might come and go in its popularity. But in the end, it's really not causing any harm or damage to the, indiv- to the individual cat. Um, but then you that's the other reason why we look at uh, overall population diversity. If someone wants to develop this into a new breed, work with us so that we can help you do your breeding so the cats don't get too inbred right at the very beginning. So a responsible person, you know, all these mutations occur at random. Someone finds one of them and develops it into a new breed. Well, that's how all the breeds started at some point in time. It's just now you recognize them more often. Well, what are some of the success stories of feline gene mapping? I know we've talked about the Persians and the polycystic kidney disease. What are some of the others? Yes, yeah, so our work has focused on polycystic kidney disease. Um, work at Ohio State uh, focused on um, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. So there's two mutations known uh, for HCM developed by Dr. Kate Mears and Dr. Mark Kittleson, who are who's also here at UC Davis. Um, the group at the National Cancer Institute with uh, collaborators at uh, University of Missouri, Christina Narstrom, they have found the blindness that is found in Abyssinian cats. Some of the original work on inherited diseases in cats uh, was done at the University of Pennsylvania by Dr. Mark Haskins and uh, Urs Geiger. Henry Baker at Auburn has found some of the different gangliosidoses that are known in cats. Um, so there's maybe 50 different uh, disease gene mutations that have been identified in cats. A lot are not popular, meaning, well, not that you want them to be popular, but not <laughs> at high prevalence. But And some can be found even in our random bred cats. Um, what we do need to remember is cats, unlike dogs, it's kind of reverse in cats and dogs, probably 90%, if not more, of our cats in the world are random bred cats. And so when we're thinking about these health issues, we talk about them more in our breeds, but they're definitely occurring in our random bred cats too. So we got to be on the lookout for helping out our random bred cats as well as the fancy breed cats. Well, for our listeners who have a pedigree cat or are looking to get one, what's your best advice if they want a healthy companion? What what does that registration paper guarantee? Are, Are there... Any particular questions they should ask the breeder? Well, yeah. So I think uh, they should ask the breeder what health conditions are known within the breed. You you want to be, you know, not accusing a breeder of having those conditions, um, but a breeder should tell you that information and always talk to more than one breeder. So if you're not getting the same type of answers, you can figure out who's being a little more forward and honest 
And um, if you go through the different cat fancy registries, so there's the CFA and TICA within the United States and a few other smaller groups, um, they will help lead you to good, well-respected uh, cat breeders that can give you good quality um, cats. So you just have to little, do a little bit of homework. I mean, you should be doing your homework anyhow from the point of view of going to visit the cats and really seeing what personalities they have instead of just reading it in a book. So if you want to pick a cat, you should go visit some different batteries that have those cats and see them actually in action. Because uh, in my experience, the cats generally pick you, too. I think they pick you, and I think they also name themselves, too. So I never worry <laughs> about naming a cat. It's, its name's going to come to you. Oh, that's great. I would like to thank my guest, Dr. Leslie Lyons, and the producers for making Pet Peeves possible. Tune in next week for Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio to hear more about what hisses you off. Email me suggestions or post a note to my blog by dialing up PetLifeRadio.com and clicking on the Pet Peeves logo. For free behavior and care tips, check out the new Pet Peeves newsletter available from Shojai.com. Purrs and trills until next time. Cherish your kitty, whether pedigreed or random bred. They're all champions of our hearts. Thank goodness the cats don't care what we humans look like. Strive to keep them happy and healthy because, after all, you don't want them to get peeved. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander is up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Join us each week on Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Shojai, will talk about what makes you howl and what hisses you off. Pet Peeves, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.